Wine, Food, Talk. NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us once again here at Napa Broadcasting. I know that it seems like change is happening all the time. In fact, real change, significant change, is kind of rare. And one of those big changes happened at the start of the year when cannabis, recreational cannabis specifically, made its leap into the legal and cultural mainstream. And while medical marijuana had been legal for some time, the final step that really codified the change, at least in the minds of the public, was what happened at the beginning of the year. Now the question is how various communities are going to deal and benefit from all of this, how entrepreneurs are going to take advantage of this for the good of the community and creating great businesses. And we're going to talk about that today as I'm joined here by Rob Bondavi and Eric Sklar to talk about their new business, Fume Napa. Eric, Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Great. Good. Thanks for having us, Jeff. Well, Eric, start with you. Tell us a little bit about, about the business. Well, you know, we uh, have been thinking about this for a long time, waiting for this day to come, and, uh, um, you know, really thrilled that the people of California decided that it was time for marijuana to be legal, and we've been building a business that's going to be a full part of the supply chain from growing through brands. Uh, but most excitedly, Rob and I are working on uh, the Napa Valley Cannabis Association. Um, the Cannabis Association is going to be an organization that will ensure, work to ensure that when we do cannabis in Napa, we do it right. Mm-hmm. Rob, talk a little bit about how you got involved in all this. You know, um, I really enjoy Napa Valley for everything that it provides from, from the community, the people, the, the, the wines, the restaurants. And when cannabis became legal in California, um, Eric approached me and said, we should discuss the Napa Valley Cannabis Association so that we can help to promote, protect, and enhance Napa Valley, much like the wine industry has done. And we both have a mutually vested interest in making sure our community has all the same benefits today and more uh, and have cannabis as part of that community. So to me, it's a really important opportunity to be involved with the creation for how Napa County can be a guiding light for how to utilize cannabis correctly. Are there best practices around the state, other communities that you guys are looking at at this point to sort of see what they've done and use that as maybe a jumping off point, Eric? Yeah, absolutely. We don't have to start from scratch. There are a number of communities that have already passed ordinances that allow commercial cultivation, and we'd like to see Napa do the same. And again, we want to do it right. As Rob said, we both have a vested interest. We both own plenty of grape land and uh, and don't want anything new to impact that. But we deeply believe that uh, the cannabis can be additive, not subtractive to the process. Um, and, uh, and we want to ensure that that happens. Um, and, you know, another thing that uh, it adds is, is for a long time, a lot of folks have said it's uh, terrible that Napa has is a monoculture for crops. Well, this is a way to add another crop that can be additive and not damage uh, the Napa brand, but build on it. What have you heard, question for both of you, Eric, start with you. What have you heard so far in terms of any concern, any pushback from those in the, the grape community, the wine community, to having what might seem like competition? Yeah, you know, there's only a few people who, uh, who we've approached, all, all vintners, that's mainly who we're talking to, um, and only a few have said they don't want to be involved, but none of them said they think it'll be bad for Napa. They're just concerned that, that uh, it's not federally legal yet. So I haven't seen any pushback because, um, you know, it just doesn't seem to be something that will impinge on, on the grape growing and, and will add to the Napa brand. And Rob, what are you hearing? I, I have to echo exactly what Eric has said, where I, I have heard people um, are supportive 
to neutral. I have not found anybody that's come out and said, no, I'm against this. I don't want this in our community. I think people are curious as to how this can be a positive benefit to the community, which is, again, part of why I wanted to become involved with, with the foundation of the Napa Valley Cannabis Association to help guide and then build proper relationships with our local elected leaders and staff in partnership, partner with Napa Valley Trade Association so that we create this properly. But I've not found any pushback. And I think that for those who are on the fence, I think it's because there's an unknown of how this will evolve. And I think that that's, that's fair to have hesitation and concern, but haven't found anybody who's been against it yet. Is it a concern, Rob, about how it'll evolve or how it will impact the Napa brand? I think that that's a great question. And I think that there's both. I think that you can, uh, you can look at an extreme stereotype of a red light district, Amsterdam, where people are excited that that could possibly happen and, and nervous about that. But, but that's just, that's just, I don't think a feasible, you know, uh, evolution for Napa. I think that the Napa brand, I haven't had people um, extremely concerned about it. They've been curious. Now, how do we make certain that the Napa iconic brand of these beautiful world-class wines and reputation for food, dining, tourism, and the community lifestyle, how does that not negatively impact it? And I think, it, again, it goes back to guiding the process as opposed to letting it happen. Talk a little bit, Eric, about the nexus with things like, like the Ag Preserve and, and the idea of, of using the Napa brand with stuff that may be grown here or not grown here. Right. Well, we all want to protect the Napa name, which means ensuring that any label that says Napa on it, that product comes from Napa. The vintners have done a great job of doing that right. with grapes. Um, we view it as our job for doing that with cannabis. The state has set it up so that uh, you, it's easy for, for counties to make sure that, uh, that the name on the label is accurate. But we want to make sure we fight on that because in the end, it's up to the industry to enforce that by going after bad players. But a lot of this, Jeff, comes down to education. I um, mean, you know, Rob talks about how you know, people are curious but uh, aren't really informed. For instance, um, you know, there's this fear I heard that somehow cannabis was going to be mean ripping out of grapes and put, you know, putting in acres and acres of cannabis where grapes used to be. Well, the state only allows one acre uh, per premises, and we think the county can easily say one acre per parcel maximum, which ends up being a very small amount on any given parcel, uh, given the average parcel size in the Ag Preserve and the AW as well. Um, and uh, interestingly, I think grapes are more of a threat to a cannabis crop than the other way around. The state has set levels for contamination in cannabis that are in parts per billion, well below any other product on the market. So if you're right next to a row of grapes that's being sprayed with sulfur, your cannabis could be ruined and you might not be able to sell it. So uh, I think that uh, cannabis growers and, and we as, a, as the association will work very hard to make sure that we don't impact grapes, and, and also that grapes are separated enough from our cannabis grows that we're, uh, our cannabis grows are safe. Talk about the big picture in terms of the association and what ultimately you would like to see it do and how it would react and interact with others in the business. You know, my, I think the Napa Valley Vintners are a good example. We want to work on government affairs to make sure we do this right, and we, and we protect the valley and the industry both. Um, number two, we want to educate both public uh, officials and the public in general. We want to fight to protect the Napa name. And then finally, uh, we want to uh, eventually market the cannabis brand from Napa, just like the vintners do with, with wine and grapes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a, it's a slow and steady process. We're just launching. Our first board meeting is going to be in about two weeks. And, uh, and we're going uh, to work really closely with the grape organizations and other organizations like Visit Napa Valley. Um, and, you know, frankly, with, with groups that uh, represent youth, because one of the biggest concerns and I think most legitimate concerns is that we don't let our youth be more exposed to cannabis um, than they are now. Maybe work a way to make it 
less because uh, under the on the black market, there's no protections. Um, and so we'll work on all those things with local groups. Is there any other kind of nexus with the wine business, Rob? Any other ways that the association and, and the business that you guys are, are putting together, any ways that it can work more closely with the wine business? You know, I, I'm not really certain how that's viable at this particular junction. As the state has set up the, the regulations now, the cannabis and alcohol cannot cohabitate the same locations, whether it be for manufacturing or for processing. So I'm not really sure how that works. So I think that, that insofar as is there some way to, to cohabitate a marketing space, I think that that is absolutely viable. Being the best of class, making certain that we're doing things that are um, well thought, that have thought out the, the potentiality of unintended consequences, and making certain that we really, as Eric and I both believe, engage our local community to really get out ahead of this and do it the right way. So uh, I think that that's how we, we find that good bridging gap between wine and cannabis for the future. Mm-hmm. And Eric, further to that, talk about the concerns, if any, with regard to f- the federal situation in this, because wineries do have a federal control through ATF, through the bonding process. And of course, that's a problem with respect to the cannabis industry. Right. And so there are a great many uh, wine o- winery owners and vintners who are concerned about that right now. And the, the three people I mentioned who didn't want to join the association right off the bat, that's their concern. But let me uh, go to the top of it a little bit. Everybody's talked a lot about this Sessions uh, uh, memo of his own, where right. he ripped up the other memos. It was really a big nothing burger, because in the reality, it didn't change a single thing in terms of the law. Just this week, the law got extended that makes it illegal for federal money, resources, and manpower to be spent going after prosecuting or investigating medical marijuana businesses in states where medical marijuana has been made legal if the business is following the state law. That's still in place. It's expected to be extended. And in fact, after talking to some folks on Capitol Hill in the last couple of weeks, they're so angry about what Sessions did is they've done a couple things. They've said, we're not going to uh, allow the uh, confirmation of any Justice Department appointees until Sessions reverse themselves. A, a number of people on both that Republicans, both on the House and the Senate side, signed up as co-sponsors of pro-marijuana legislation that they weren't there before. And thirdly, I've been told that they're going to try to add recreational marijuana to this prohibition on using federal resources, which would be a huge thing uh, because it, mean, it means you can operate without fear. What it doesn't do yet is allow you to bank. Uh, right. Because banks are still afraid of, of banking cannabis businesses. And there is legislation that uh, Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey has put on and is going to have a hearing sometime this spring that will take marijuana off the Schedule One, which will allow banking and also change the tax laws to a more reasonable. Even on the banking, there are a number of people in Colorado, a number of entrepreneurs that are trying to figure out a way around this problem. Yeah, same thing here. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the state as well, as well as the city of San Francisco. They're all looking at creating a state bank maybe that would be a, exempt from federal regulators that would allow them to do it. The thing is they have to then create private, take private insurance because FDIC couldn't insure the accounts. Talk a little bit about what you would like to see in terms of sales and dispensaries here in Napa, in the county, in the various other cities. What do you see evolving? How do you see the association involved in this? We both believe that retail should be in the cities. Um, I think it's, it's viable to request that it is sold in an elegant way uh, that is for adult use, that is only directed towards adult use, and that there is education available within the shops to, of course, promote how that can be done correctly. But I really do think because it, it is legal and it is going to be sold as a viable product, we can't have this hidden in the industrial areas and and have it be further exacerbated as a 
underground and devious product because it is not. It's a legal product and it needs to be done properly and in the forefront. So I know Eric and I talked a lot about this and I really believe how he approaches it is also quite uh, quite proactive. I'd love to get his thoughts as well. Yeah, I'm disappointed in the city of Napa. They they, they wrote an ordinance. Um, I think more than three uh, council members were willing to do something more extensive to allow this to be in the retail areas. It's a retail business. And the whole idea of zoning is you put like things together mm-hmm. because the infrastructure is right for those like kind of businesses. They stuck it off in the industrial zones and medical office buildings, which is unfortunate. I, I found it almost impossible to find a space that's in those zones and isn't exempt because it's a thousand, less than 1,000 feet from a, child, a youth activity, a school, or a park. Um, and so we're, gonna, we're, we're debating now how to come back to the city of Napa and say, listen, you got it almost right, but not quite. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, for the smaller towns, for particularly for Yountville, St. Helena, and Calistoga, it's going to be a little different there because they only have small downtowns. They're tiny little cities. So they may limit a little bit how many uh, facilities you can have. Napa hasn't limited the number. They've just kind of forced it into the corners. And we want to see that turned around. But in the Ag Preserve and the Ag Watershed, you know, which uh, which Rob's grandfather was instrumental in, in creating, we don't want to see retail development there. That's not allowed, and we don't want any change in that. We're not going to see marijuana tasting rooms. Not anytime soon. Uh, you know, eventually we should look at that, but not anytime mm-hmm. soon. It's about cultivation in those agricultural areas. I want to come back to this issue in the city because one of the things that we've certainly been hearing a lot about is where are the locations, that there really are a limited number of places and, and a lot of competition for those one, two, or three buildings or places that might work. Yeah, so there's some area along California Boulevard, um, but even locations that are that would be otherwise okay, they have to have their doorfront within 250 feet of a of a of a major thoroughfare, so it can be seen by police driving by. Again, you know, it can't be near any youth activity. And they didn't say just what the state does, which is schools and parks, uh, and. Uh, and so on. They added any kind of youth activity. So if there's a karate school or a dance studio mm-hmm. or a daycare center that's private nearby, you can't do it. So it's a little bit on California Boulevard, a little bit behind, near the Walmart on Soskill. Um, although it turns out there's a, a dance uh, school there that, that knocked out a bunch of buildings. And then a little bit in an office park, I mean, a rather medical office park off of Trancas. It's really limited. And we, we've tried five buildings, and every one of them, we, when we go to the city, they search further and further, and they find some reason we can't do it. Okay, for me, it's quite frustrating. If we have a legal product, treat it like a legal product. You know, after the repeal of Prohibition, you know, the, the, the federal government absolutely gave the states the right to control this. Now, this is a bit different where the states are saying this is legal and then the individual counties are able to regulate it. But we really should have this in the forefront and not hide it. It's, this is something that really, to me, is problematic in how we're moving ahead. It either is or it isn't legal. And, you know, wineries are a great part of Napa Valley. We seem to have develop a community here that can respect wine, that can respect alcohol, that teaches that this is part of our community, but it doesn't have to be part of a lifestyle of an adult, uh, and it certainly should not be part of a lifestyle for youth. So we have a model where we can demonstrate how a product, a controlled licensed product, can be successfully navigated here. And I'd like to see our industry leaders and our community step up to that and take note of what we've done very elegantly and very well here in the Napa Valley. Right. I would add two points. Rob's exactly right. Um, Number one, Napa, 
the county and the cities all passed 64, Prop 64, with an overwhelming margin, right. larger than the state as a whole. And what we know from polls is that every day that goes by, the number of people supporting legal cannabis goes up, not just in California, but across the country. A recent Gallup poll, for the first time in their polling history, showed 51% of Republicans support legalization of cannabis, and the numbers among Democrats and independents are much higher. Secondly, you know, Rob and I have, have reputations. People have can see what we and our families have done when we've opened wine businesses in this county. We don't want to do anything less than that same elegant kind of taste rooms you see at Mondavi Family Wineries and Alpha Omega that I started. And we, we can't do that in an industrial park. That's got to be in a retail facility with, you know, high ceilings and big windows. Um, and that's what we really ought to allow in the city of Napa. What are the limitations in terms of downtown? And I mean, literally downtown Napa. Yeah, you can't be in downtown, period. It's just there's, there's nowhere in the central business district that you can open a cannabis location right now. Because of the way the regs are written at this point? Yep, entirely because that was the council's vote. Um, the Planning Commission recommended they expand that. Um, and I think there were three votes at the council, but um, one, one member of the council uh, dominated the discussion and prevailed. And, and that was unfortunate because I think that uh, that was going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. What would be What was the objection to downtown? Well, the main thing that was said over and over was, let's go slow. Let's try it slowly. Let's put our toe in the water. Let's not dive into this full wholeheartedly. But, you know, diving into it just partially and not doing it right doesn't make any sense because what you're going to do is you're going to breed failure on the part of the whole whole concept. Uh, doing it right from the beginning is what makes mm-hmm. sense. And talk a little bit, Rob, about other places. I mean, in San Francisco, for example, and, and, and certainly I'm sure there's lots of great examples in Colorado that represent the kind of high-profile, high-end place that, that you guys would like to see. You know, I, I have not been to one that, that was as elegant as I would like, but that's personal style. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I did go into Spark uh, in San Francisco, and I thought that they did a really nice job at the first generation of really curating the products and demonstrating them, packaging them, and promoting them in an adult use elegant way. So I think that we have a great start to that. But I think as with the genesis of of any industry, I think that evolution can continue. I mean, I would love to see something that looks, look, um, you know, a beautiful uh, apothecary from the the turn of the last century. You know, let's, let's really make this proper, let's make it right, and let's demonstrate that this is a product that needs to be um, you know, properly utilized and properly sold. It's interesting, uh, Eric, there was a story, one of the major papers recently, about the percentage of, of stuff that's being sold that the smoking part of it is becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah, that's really interesting. I looked at some demographics and, and some sales records from uh, Ease, which is the largest delivery service, probably the largest retailer in California. And uh, just a year and a half or two years ago, I think something like 75% of cannabis sold was flour to smoke. And now it's down to 50% of their sales. I'm sorry, less than that. Less than that. Yeah, and then vaporizers are equal. And then you add edibles and concentrates and lotions. So I think it was like less than 30% of sales are flowers now at some of the biggest retailing outlets. And that's going to continue so that smoke, you know, people know that smoking is not great for you. There's, and there's other ways to, to ingest and, and consume marijuana that doesn't involve smoke. And I think that's the direction most people will go. I was pretty interested when, when I went into to Spark and I've also been over to a, a company called Canacraft that focuses on the medical side at how many different tinctures, sublingual sprays, um, and, and other products that are available from lotions you know, that utilize the CBD uh, in conjunction with small amounts of the THC in order to alleviate pain, much like you would put on a, on a Tiger Bomb or a, or a Bengay-type product, right? Um, and so there's more to this plant 
than just a recreational use. There is a, a lovely and, um, and correct therapeutic side as well. And I'm pretty pleased to see that that is developing alongside of it. And that to me in conjunction with, you know, the sale for recreation, I think makes a balanced um, apothecary type shop or retail shop. Yeah, which really emphasizes education, though, right? Because we have to teach people about all these different uses and do it correctly. And that's why in a lovely, elegant environment with great ins- you know, instructors, basically, behind the counter, we can uh, bring this product out into the light in a way that really has broad benefits for society. Do you think of this in terms of locals, tourists? How does that fit into the equation of what you're trying to do? You know, I think it's actually both. I, I think when we look at at uh, where um, cannabis passed in California for medical use in 1996 in California, that was the first uh, line in the sand by our population that said, we, we need this. We want these benefits for our health. So I think we have a local population base that will continue to enjoy that. And I think as people come to visit California and Napa Valley, it will give them the opportunity to have an educated experience of what these products uh, can be utilized for. The, the next issue would be the tourism, as, as you said, and then the recreation side. And I, I do think much as people will, you know, buy, a, you know, a cocktail and, and have a, a nice drink of wine or a nice bourbon, I think that people will also look to utilize cannabis in, in, this, um, in this manner as well. And to me, that, that's fine. I always like the term moderation. I think it's very important to have people teach how to utilize these products, whether it's alcohol or whether it's cannabis, in a responsible way. Mm-hmm. Eric, talk a little bit about the competition and how many people do you sense are, are wanting to get into this business at this point? How much? How many dispensaries can Napa handle, do you think? Right. It's interesting. You know, outside of Napa, the competition seems fierce. In the big cities like San Francisco and Oakland, right. there's hundreds of people lining up. We've hit, but there's a few people who we've talked about who want to do business here, but it's not like some people are rushing in. I think it's going to be local grown by people mm-hmm. who already have expertise in both the wine and the hospitality side of the businesses and the restaurant side of the business. I think those folks are interested too. So I don't think it's going to be something overwhelming. As I said, the smaller towns are going to have to limit it to a couple of retail places per town. Napa can handle quite a bit, though. It's a big, biggish city uh, in terms of something like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what the number is, but I don't think the government should dictate what the number is in a city the size of Napa. Competition should, and that way the best players will survive and most well reflect on Napa and the quality of everything we do. What are some of the negative things we learn from what other communities have done? Vegas uh, has done some things that sort of mess themselves up in the process. Yeah, mostly on the back end uh, in terms of growing a distribution and making right. sure that the, the product flows to market. Both uh, uh, Nevada and uh, and Colorado both experienced shortages because they created such complex regulations for the startup of these businesses that folks just couldn't get going in time to provide the retail stores, which are easier to establish. And of course, there's great concern. I mean, this goes beyond the local aspect of it, but I know it's something that, that you guys have looked at. Great concern about the taxing structure on this, that it becomes so expensive, it pushes it back underground. That, you know, that's right, that, uh, that you know, the, the state through Prop 64, put a 15% excise tax on, and it's already becoming clear that that's too high, especially because you want to leave some room for local authorities to add some tax right. as well to help cover their costs and maybe make a little additional revenue. So that's going to have to be revisited because the goal is here to bring everybody out into the light, and in our view, uh, for Napa to bring it into the spotlight, um, which goes back to your question about how it fits in with everything else. You know, Visit Napa Valley has been working hard to say that Napa is not just about wine. It's about food. It's about lifestyle. It's about outdoor activities. It's about health. 
Health. We have some of the great hospitals in, in the world. And uh, this just becomes one more piece of this wonderful overall experience for both locals and visitors. Mm-hmm. And talk a little bit, uh, either one of you, about law enforcement. And obviously you've talked to them and they're part of this equation as well. How are they responding to this here in this in our community? I've seen the, the some of the sheriffs that I've spoke with um, are neutral. Um, and I haven't really seen anybody come out and say, yes, we're really for this. Eric may have a different experience, but I, I haven't had anybody come out and, and be negative about it. Some of the positive comments that I've heard are, well, that, that there's speculation that this could potentially reduce gang activities for growing and guerrilla farming in the hillsides that, uh, that can you know, promote other nefarious type activities. So all in all, I've seen neutral and I've seen some speculation that perhaps this allows for the cleaning up of some gang activity as well with respect to farming illegally, which happened in the past. So Eric, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think that generally the leaders in, in the law enforcement community have been neutral. Um, sometimes the local you know, police officer association, I think philosophical, will say they don't want it. But in addition to the gang activity and violence, there's the incredible damage to the environment that these illegal grows up in the mountains do. They dam up creeks that, are, that kill fish passage. They've used really awful chemicals, many of which are illegal in this country, um, and those end up on the products that people smoke. So the more we can legalize across the country, the better. The one concern, of course, is as long as other states are illegal, California, just like our produce, grows more marijuana than most of the rest of the country combined. And a lot of that's going out of state. And what we think is going to happen is as it's legal in California, the stuff sold in California will be through the legal system. The illegal stuff will continue to go out of state, which is a real strong argument for national legalization. So we can clean this up everywhere. Mm-hmm. And talk a little bit about the time frame that you see on all of this finally, Eric. Well, you know, we like to see the county of Napa allow outdoor commercial cultivation for the 19 growing season. But that really means they've got to get it done by late summer because you have to go through a whole water board certification process, efficient wildlife certification process. you got to plan your garden. you got to order your soil and other things. So we'd really like to see in the next uh, eight, seven, eight months the county of Napa allow commercial cultivation. And then over the next five or six months, we're going to try to work with the city of Napa to expand and where they allow recreational sales. And why is outdoor cultivation better than indoor at this point in your view? Well, you know, it's philosophical, but to some extent, but but I believe that these are outdoor plants. Um, they're meant to grow in the soil, in the sun, and be hand-tended. And so we think that uh, while there's a real value for indoor and even greenhouse, um, if you're talking about growing cannabis that lives up to the quality of Napa Valley Cab, that needs to be done outdoor in the sun. Are we, Rob, are we going to be talking about terroir for uh, marijuana plants? You know, I don't, I don't see why we shouldn't. When we look at the, the different fertility of soils in valley floor versus higher elevations, uh, you know, the different light exposure that you'll have in, in different AVAs, whether it's hillside or hillside valleys, I think that that will be in, important in the future. And, you know, what I really think is, is quite special about Napa is we've son, done such a wonderful job developing the agricultural preserve, the agricultural watershed, designating rules and regulations for how we plant vineyards and where it is appropriate to cultivate vine. We can look at those same rules and types of regulations that we already have, that have already demonstrated that we can protect and preserve Napa as we have for, you know, nearly 50 years of the Ag Preserve being in place, that we can adopt those measures for cannabis in Napa Valley and have a successful fast start that preserves and protects Napa. And I'm really looking forward to trying to help further educate 
and promote that concept of using the vineyard regulations that we have already. And it's about stewardship. You know, I uh, my father was not a farmer, although he started growing grapes probably in his 50s. Um, but what I've learned, and I learned it actually from Rob's father, Michael, who t- tells the story about how he learned it from his grandfather, Rob's great-grandfather, that it's about the soil. You know, everything we do is about being stewards of the soil, um, and we want the Napa Valley Cannabis Association to lead on that effort to continue the stewardship that um, generations now in Napa have done for our kids and grandkids, which is preserving the soil, preserving uh, preserving our agricultural heritage, and we think cannabis can be a natural part of that. Rob Mondavi, Herrick Sklar, the Napa Valley Cannabis Association in Fume, Napa. I thank you both. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks. Thank you. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.